Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining us today is Fidelity's Vice President of Tax Research, Peter Bowen. Peter joins host Kelly Roberts, Vice President of National Accounts, for a deep dive into how the alternative minimum tax works and the changes you can expect. Earlier this year, the federal 2023 budget had significant changes to the alternative minimum tax system. The changes apply to certain areas like inclusion rate on capital gains and stock options. So how will this affect investors and what should advisors keep in mind when informing their clients of these changes? Peter says changes to the alternative minimum tax or AMT doesn't come into effect until next year. Some key highlights, the tax rate on newly calculated tax base for AMT is going up from 15% to 20.5%. This is a federal rate, provincial rates are layered on top. Peter says the good news is the exemption is increasing from $40,000 to $173,000. This is the deductible amount before calculating tax burden based on increased rate. He adds 80% of capital gains is included in calculation Next year, it will be 100%. In terms of advisor planning for the changes to the AMT, Peter says it's less of providing tax advice but helping clients be aware of changes and suggesting the right strategies. The changes don't come into effect until next year, so if your client is looking to sell something with significant capital gains, it could be done before year end. And if they are planning on using capital loss this year, maybe delay that as in future years, they will only be able to use 50% of that. This podcast was recorded on September 14th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. You got to take part in the federal budget lockup earlier this year. What were your overall impressions about tax changes in the budget? So on initial glance, Kelly, there really wasn't a lot in this year's federal budget. And in fact, one of the first things I do is I look for the big changes, right? And mostly there's good news there because there weren't big changes. For instance, corporate class is the first thing I look to, continues to provide tax benefits. T-Series continues to work. What about the capital gains inclusion rate? 50% stays at 50%. And general tax rates. Right again, they stayed uh, where they were, but there were some traps, and for certain people, there actually were increases, arguably, in the capital gains inclusion rate and the general tax tax rates. So, why do I need to care about this, and why do advisors need to be aware of this? So, those changes all have to do with the alternative minimum tax, and why? Well, the reality is that this will not affect a lot of people. So that's first point. That's right? good news. But the people that it will affect are the advisor's best clients. And if it does affect them, this is a nasty surprise. And we do not like to expose our clients to nasty surprises. Absolutely not. So describe to me, who would that client be? Who would this primarily affect? 
So generally, it's going to be high-income earners who are taking significant advantage, and I mean sizable dollars, of what we call tax preferences. So that can be Canadian dividends, that can be capital gains from selling securities, or perhaps um, cottage or chalet, or uh, a small business, right? And also those making large charitable donations. As well, certain trusts can also be affected by these rules. Okay. So what is the alternative minimum tax? And can you talk to us a little bit about how does it work? Sure. So as the name suggests, it's an alternative calculation. Right? When we do our tax returns or get our accountant to do our tax returns in April, right? we do our normal tax calculations. But in behind the scenes is this alternative calculation. And it's a different tax base. It's a different tax rate. If it comes up with a higher number, we have to pay that higher number. Uh, so it's a greater of calculation that, again, most people don't get affected by this, but some do. If we do have to pay alternative minimum tax, uh, that may be recoverable at some point in the next seven years. Uh, and one other element is that it does not apply in the year of death. So what changes have been proposed in the 2023 federal budget? And when do all of these come into effect? This kicks in next year, and it's still at the proposed rules stage, but I'm not expecting anything to change there. We'll have to wait and see what the final legislation that gets passed, but I, we expect it to be in place as of next year. So the changes. Firstly, the tax rate that applies on our newly calculated tax base with this alternative calculation. Right? So this, again, only counts for AMT purposes. The tax rate's going up from 50, 50, sorry, 15 to 20.5%. Now that sounds pretty low, but we have to bear in mind that's the federal rate, right? So we have to layer on provincial rates. We'll do that later. But. And there's actually one bit of good news in this, in that the exemption, so we are allowed to deduct a certain amount of income before we calculate the tax burden based on this new increased rate, the exemption is going from 40000 all the way up to about $173,000. So that's the good news. That's one little bit of good news because there are a lot of other changes and they're all bad. <laughs> I don't like to hear that. <laughs> Again, this only counts for AMT purposes, okay. right? But for AMT purposes right now, 80% of a capital gain is included in the calculation going to 100% next year. Capital loss carry forwards, we only get to deduct 50% of those. The lifetime capital gains exemption, so if someone sells a small business, we can earn up to something like 970,000 of capital gain tax-free or a million if it's farming or fishing. However, for AMT purposes, it was and remains, 30% of that gain is taxable. And if we donate securities, right? so if we donate securities, publicly traded securities, including mutual funds and pooled funds, Right now, that gain does not get taxed at all for regular purposes or AMT purposes. For AMT purposes, we're going to have to pick up 30% of that gain. There's also an impact on stock options as well. Before we go on, one yeah. more thing, yeah. Kelly, because there are more changes. <laughs> we, we Now, the deductions we get are being reduced. Most significantly, I'd say, are interest expense. Right. So again, only for AMT purposes. For regular purposes, we continue to deduct 100% of interest if it's for the purpose of earning income. For AMT purposes, as of next year, only half of that will be deductible. 
and certain tax credits will be reduced by a half, including charitable donations. So there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. Other than the increase in the exemption, they are bad news. But again, you know, think about that exemption. It means that this only affects people with significant amounts of these tax-preferred items. So to your point, there is a lot there. And I understand you actually have an example. Do you mind walking us through it just to kind of get some clarity for our advisors out there? So very simple example. Let's think about someone who sells a cottage or a chalet, or maybe these are securities that the person's held for years and built up a million dollar capital gain. Under the existing AMT rules, no impact, right? Their regular tax on this is, let's say $227,000. That's federal and provincial, right? And it's not, not a specific province, but it does include the again, includes the, the provincial tax. So uh, that's under the existing regular rules and the existing AMT rules don't affect that. So there's no extra amount. Under the new rules, remember our capital gain inclusion rate is going from 80% to 100%. And what that is doing is moving up the tax base for AMT purposes. It means that that individual will owe an extra 46 thousand dollars that's wow. federal and provincial but it's bumping their taxes up from 227,000 to 274,000 that's a big jump yeah right so you've got that client who comes along and says hey you know those those shares or that investment fund that I've owned for years I want to trigger that gain because I'm buying a cottage well we want to make sure that they they're aware that this alternative minimum tax can catch them out yeah Make sure they've got that buffer in, in place for sure. How does this scenario change, let's say, if you if you have some income? Right. Well, this first example is, is fairly artificial, right? Okay. Very few people don't have any income, but you know, could happen. Yep. Let's say they have $100,000 of other income. That does change the equation because if we've got regular income, it is taxed you know, under the regular rules at a fairly high tax rate, meaning the AMT impact tends to be lessened somewhat. And here we can see, we, you know, under the existing rules, $280,000 of regular tax. AMT doesn't affect that. If this were to happen next year though, AMT does affect it, but the increase instead of 46,000 will be about 27,000. So smaller, not a disaster, but certainly a surprise that again, we don't really want clients to, you know, get caught up there. Get their, get their tax return uh, drafts given to them by the accountant next April and say, oh, you owe an extra $27,000. Then it will be, what? Yeah. So again, being aware that these rules are out there and it can affect those significant tax preferences that we're taking advantage of is, is so important. Now, you mentioned trust could be impact. Can you expand a little bit on this as well? Yeah, so this is a, an area that could be catch out more clients, arguably, okay. because uh, trusts don't actually get that exemption. Exemption, The $173,000 exemption, they don't get that. And when you think about some family trusts, they are set up uh, often, sometimes, let's say, where an individual will loan money to the trust and charge the prescribed rate, at least the prescribed rate that was in place at the time the loan was made. It's called a prescribed rate loan strategy. Mm -hmm. um, great, trust earns income, deducts the interest expense, pays out the net to beneficiaries, doesn't owe any tax. 
Well, now the trust is only going to get, get to deduct half of that interest expense. So even small family trusts can get hit with this and end up owing pretty easily thousands of dollars depending on the circumstance, right? If, if a trust has borrowed $200,000 at, uh, let's say it was at 4% mm -hmm. when the, the loan was made, uh, that's $8,000 of interest deduction. You only get 4,000, uh, so you can owe, owe some more tax. So it, it, again, it's one of those surprises we don't want our clients to get caught out with. Yeah, no, no client likes to get caught out on any mm -hmm. tax, <laughs> tax surprises by any stretch. Yeah. Now, I know in the conversations we've had, I understand the government has positioned this um, as shutting down loopholes, let's say, for kind of the higher net worth individuals. Is it really effective in doing this? What, is, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, so that, that's how they like to position that. So <laughs> when they, they issued a press release in um, August when they released the draft, religious, draft legislation, that's how they positioned it. They said, this is shutting down loopholes. To me, that's nonsense, right? Think about charitable donations. And that's another situation where, where this will catch some people out. High net worth individuals, right, have been taking advantage of these rules uh, to make large charitable donations. Mm -hmm. So someone has $5 million worth of stock that have as a cost base of next to zero because they started it as a small business, they took it public, it's, it's now they've got $100 million of stock with a close to zero cost base and they wanna donate $5 million to a charity. Well, they will donate the stock. And the beauty of that is that you still get your charitable donation receipt for the $5 million, but you don't have to pay the tax on the capital gain. And by the way, this works with a, a T-series type of strategy as well on an investment fund where mm -hmm. we strip out the cost base over time. Uh, it's a very tax efficient way to do charitable gifting. Now, under these new rules, two things happen. One is 30% of that capital gain will be included in the AMT base. And secondly, only half of the charitable donation receipt will be, you know, provide a benefit under the AMT rules. Is that a loophole? To me, no. That's exactly what the rules were designed to do. The rules were designed to encourage charitable gifting. So how can one call that closing a loophole when they're doing exactly what the rule was designed to do? It's, it's, and same with a lot of the other changes uh, that, that are going on here. Uh, you know, there's reasons for them. The way they, to my thinking, is mm -hmm. that they want to say, hey, we want to make sure that you know, with wealthy people pay more taxes, regardless of our goal of encouraging charitable gifting. Charities are, I understand, lobbying on this because it's going to impact charitable donations. In, so they the are future. actively lobbying now? Because I can see that being a huge impact to charities because... Charities, are, there will be some reduction in charitable donations as a result of these changes. Is there clarity on what happens with AMT the year that one dies? Yes. The, so that's well, it's, it's strange to call it good news, right? I know. To, to take advantage of this, you have to die. Um, yeah. But uh, yes, so the AMT does not apply in the year of death. Okay. Right? So that's important because um, you know when we pass away, if we don't have a surviving spouse, uh, you know the value of our rifts are taxable and any capital gains on non-registered investments are all triggered for tax purposes. 
Um, so it, fortunately, the AMT does not apply in that final tax return of the individual who passes away. So we, we talked about the impact on charitable giving. We've talked about you know, what happens if you're selling your cottages for millions of dollars and, and the results of that. How do advisors kind of help their clients plan for the alternative minimum tax? So what's their role here? Right. So, you know, firstly, advisors don't generally provide tax advice, nor do we, but no. making clients aware of these changes. And if we're suggesting certain strategies, mm -hmm. like, hey, the charitable don donation thing, yeah. when it's big dollars, we want to make sure they talk to their own tax advisor about the implications of the AMT. Firstly, this does not kick in until next year. Okay. So if one's looking to sell something significant with significant capital gains, can you do it before year end? Right? Right? Because okay. then we're okay. Capital losses, right? Okay, well, we want we sell something for sizable capital loss this year. Maybe we're doing tax loss harvesting, planning to use it against a capital gain next year. Maybe we want to delay that sale of the capital loss, right? Because otherwise the capital loss carry forward. We only get 50% of that. Donations in kind. Mm -hmm. Charities are probably out there talking to their high net worth uh, you know, philanthropists to say, hey, let's do that this year, right? Rather than waiting till a future year. These rules affect uh, individuals and trusts, but not corporations. So one of the things about this is we will see changes in behavior, right? Mm -hmm. the, the federal government always puts in place these things and they tell us, hey, this is going to raise, I think the budget material said almost $3 billion over the next five years. Well, the parliamentary budget office just came out and said they think it's $2.6 billion, okay. right? Because behavior changes. Mm -hmm. And even that, they're uncertain about this. What about rolling these assets into a corporation? Might that make sense? Because the corporation, a private corporation, isn't subject to these rules. Maybe that works. So people will change behavior. Right? And again, you know, the reduction in charitable gifting yeah. is a change in behavior that affects all of this. So um, I'm always skeptical when they say, oh, we're going to raise this much from, from in this income tax change. And they neglect to talk about the fact that, hey, people will change behavior. What about trusts? Right? Those family trusts, even relatively small family trusts, can end up having AMT that might negate a lot of the benefits of those prescribed rate strategies, so maybe that should be rethought. Right? Um, and finally, we want to bring it back to the fact that that AMT that someone pays in, let's say, 2024, they may be able to recover it over the next seven years. If that's the case, you want to be careful about how much tax planning you want to yeah. put in place yeah. because right, our million-dollar capital gain, the extra $46,000 of tax, perhaps the person can recover it. Right? Now, if that's a person who's not otherwise working and that's a one-off, may not be able to recover it. Right? So maybe they want to make sure that chalet gets yeah. sold this year rather than next year because they can't recover it. But we also want to be careful about not letting the, the what we call the tax tail wag the business right. dog, for yeah. instance. So, uh, But thinking about these things, I think, is important. Getting clients to talk to their own tax advisor. And again, again this only affects relatively small number of people, but they are our most important clients. And I would imagine if these clients needed to obviously pay their tax bills, they're going to be reaching out to their advisors to, to get the income to do, be able to do that. So of course, they need to be involved in that conversation. Is there a consideration for those with RIFs and mandatory withdrawals? 
so no, there isn't. Okay. I mean, the uh, uh, you might think, okay, well, I want to plan around this by reducing the amount of, of income I take out uh, of my RIF, right? So manage my income levels to because of that $173,000 threshold. But there's no consideration in that sense. People have a RIF minimum, it continues to be the case. Uh, but bear in mind again, like our second example, having some income somewhat can somewhat mitigate the implications of the AMT. That RIF income counts as that type of income. So if someone's a high income earner and they've got a lot of RIF income and they've got big, big capital gains, that RIF income arguably helps their position. Okay. And if that's a one-off capital gain, uh, again, in future years, that means they're more likely to be able to recover AMT because they look at the AMT in this you know, year after, for instance, and if the AMT calculation's below the regular tax calculation on that RIF income, they can recover some of the AMT, perhaps. At the beginning, when we were opening, you mentioned there were no changes to the corporate class. We continue to, on the sales team, get a lot of questions on this. Can you give us an update on fidelity structure? Certainly. So, as I said, that's that's actually the first thing I look for when <laughs> I go into the budget is any changes to corporate class, right? Um, because the government has this uh, initiative they have for years where they want to shut down loopholes. And I don't perceive the AMT as shutting down loopholes, but that, we had that discussion. Uh, corporate class... Right? Is it a loophole? We get to earn interest income and foreign income, but it will not show on a T5 slip from a, uh, from a, a, a corporate class structure. It will not, cannot distribute interest or foreign income. Instead, as long as we're careful, we get to earn that as a capital gain. But CRA doesn't perceive that as a loophole because we are simply taking, you know, utilizing the tax rules as designed, uh, and there's a trade-off. The trade-off is that if the corporate class structure as a whole earns too much interest and foreign income, it can start to pay income taxes. Right? Now, a little bit's not a big deal, but as it grows, it can start to degrade the benefits of corporate class. So corporate class will only pay out Canadian dividends and capital gains, but it can also have an income tax expense. And CRA knows that, so I think it looks at it and says, well, manage the corporate class as you see fit. Right? Some of our competitors have taken a different approach, shall we say, and their corporate class structure has been paying income tax and is likely to continue to pay income taxes. Again, individuals can still be better off in corporate class than they would be in the trust equivalent, mm -hmm. even if the corporate class structure is paying some income taxes. But the good news is Fidelity's corporate class structure has never had to write a check to CRA for income taxes. Uh, and we're fairly confident that for our current year, 2023, we won't have an income tax uh, expense for our corporate class structure. We're in a rising interest rate environment. That could change. Right? Now, that's fine uh, if we do end up paying some income taxes. Again, you always have to think about the alternative, right? So mm -hmm. your investor puts their money in corporate class that's paying some income taxes now, or they're in the trust version. Well, what's happening with the trust version? It's distributing higher amounts fully taxable interest income. So in fact, that relative comparison might even make corporate class look better. Yeah. Right? So, um, but good news, our corporate class structure continues to provide tax advantages for clients and continues to be in a position where we're not paying any income taxes whatsoever. And as you mentioned, the government is not looking at this as a loophole. So, uh, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, never say never. They, yeah. could, they could change the rules. Yeah. 
as we've seen in the past. But they're very familiar with corporate class. It's been around for decades, yeah. right? Ours, industry-wide. There are lots of corporate class structures still in the industry. Some competitors have shut theirs down, but typically either because they're small or they're paying income taxes currently and continue to into the, into the future. But ours is, ours is healthy. Excellent. Can you expand on how the AMT has recovered in future years? So Yes. So... Let's think about that $1 million capital gain with 100,000 of income example, where we paid an extra, I think it was $26,000 of tax in, let's say 2024. In the following seven years, each of those following seven years, you can do that AMT calculation and the regular calculation again. And if that $1 million capital gain was a one-off, now we've got our regular tax and we've got our AMT calculation. Well, the AMT calculation is actually going to be zero. So we're actually going to be able to recover AMT in each of those following years. You know, it depends on each individual's circumstances. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's tax planning we can do around that too. Maybe we get to year seven and AMT is going to roll off the table. Well, maybe we want to take, we only had the question about RIF minimums. Maybe we want to take more out of a RIF because we can do that in a tax efficient manner because of recovery of AMT. So a lot of complicated moving parts. People should always be talking to their own tax advisors about strategies around it. Mm-hmm. But in many cases, people will recover AMT over seven years. But if they're triggering a million dollars every year of capital gains, no, they're not going to recover it. Yeah. Do we know at what types of income levels would the AMT start to apply? For the most part, I think very little and I can actually think about the government positioning on this, mm-hmm. very little AMT will be paid by people making less than $300,000 per year. Some, right? Okay. And again, if it's a one-off because they've sold a cottage for $600,000 and triggered a you know, normal, normally 50% inclusion rate of $300,000, they might get yep. nailed on AMT. Uh, might be significant relative to the size of the gain. But mostly we start to think about it above... 300,000. So there will be exceptions to that. And the larger the numbers, the bigger the potential AMT numbers. But also, we also have to think about, you know, what type of tax preferences, other tax preferences are they taking advantage of? So the really high net worth individuals that are earning, you know, big amounts of Canadian dividends, for instance, AMT will kick in on, on those individuals. So when we we're talking about kind of the rifts and the mandatory withdrawals, are there, are there changes at the provincial level? That we're going to be seeing? So generally, no. So generally, the provinces pile onto the federal AMT and use a certain amount, certain percentage of the federal AMT excess that people get mailed with. Quebec has followed suit. They may have increased their rate. That might be the one one exception uh, where they've actually made an additional change there. So I'm not you know, familiar with every province's, the nuances, and yeah. there are nuances. This is very complex, yeah. but but I think that's generally the, 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 the theme is that the provinces simply pile on to the federal AMT. So we understand kind of the advisor's role, which is making sure that their clients are aware that this is coming down the pipe effective next year, trying to identify those potential individuals that this could impact within their client base. Obviously, they need to be reaching out to their you know, tax accountants they work with or encourage their advisors or their clients to go and, and, and you know, engage with their, their tax experts. 
Are you available to talk to advisors and investors? I know, I mean, you're such a great resource. I get you out on the road all the time to speak at bigger events, but I'm just trying to, you know, figure out how can we leverage this dearth of knowledge you've got here and try and make sure that our advisors kind of have what they need to be able to have these constructive conversations. Sure. So my colleague and Michelle Monroe and I, that's a lot of what we do is do, you know, presentations, meetings with, you know, typically groups of advisors might come in and do a, you know, dealer's office, for instance, or maybe presentations to groups of accountants on behalf of an advisor. It's a great uh, idea. We do a lot of that, whether by Zoom or sometimes in person. We're always happy to help. No, great resources here as always. And Peter, it's always a pleasure getting a chance to sit down and talk to you. I've learned a lot about the alternative minimum tax. Um, and I hope the advisors that have been tuning in have also kind of felt like they're up to snuff on some of those changes that came down the pipe in the, in the latest federal budget. And thank you everyone for joining us this morning. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.